It's absurd, I guess. It has to make sense to be funny. It's absurd humor. How can it be funny if it doesn't make sense? Uh, I mean, I think most things that don't make sense are funny. Welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. And we've got a slipper of a mystery for you today. The Scarlet Slipper Mystery. Solved by our favorite... Art collecting... Underground rebel... Swan stepping... Dance teaching... Girl who doesn't look like a detective... Nancy Nancy Drew. Drew. This book was written in 1954. And what a tangled web it weaves. We made a bit of a mistake on our previous episode when we said it was the first book that Mildred Benson had not written, which was not true. One of our favorite people on Twitter, Liam, tweeted at us. I brought this to Hope. I said, oh, actually, this wasn't the first person who wasn't Mildred Ward Benson. Mm -hmm. And Hope, I think what you said was, what (laughs) I meant was, this is the first person who isn't Mildred Ward Benson after it never is Mildred Ward Benson again. That's not what I said. That's what you said. I don't think so. I think I was like, oh my gosh. I researched that guy. We talked about him when we read his novels. We've talked about him on the podcast. That was the dumbest way to word that. It was. Because what we <laughs> meant was Mildred Wirt Benson will no longer. Yeah, none of the following books we will cover were written by Mildred Wirt Benson. Yeah, so that yeah, last book was the first of those. Yeah. But not the first that she ever didn't write. Yeah, the last book was written by Harriet Adams, but this one... Is written by Charles S. Strong, the only Nancy Drew novel written by Charles S. Strong. And the second gentleman to be under the Carolyn Keene pen name? Yes. I want to tell you a bit about this Charles S. Strong guy because he's a character in and of himself. Okay. So he, first of all, he wrote under lots of pen names. I was like, I started to write them down and I was like, this is a lot. So just know that he had a lot of pen names. His name was also used as a pen name by Samuel Epstein and Beryl Williams. He wrote one Hardy Boys mystery as well, the Hooded Hawk mystery. Wikipedia says he once machine gunned a shark from an airplane. What? So in an article about this and about this man, Joan Crockett wrote that within a seven year span, he has had more thrilling adventures than the hero of a dime novel. (laughs) He has visited 50 different countries, been shipwrecked, traced a lost colony, taken part in a mapping exhibition, and shot a shark with a machine gun from an airplane. He is an honorary police commissioner in Norway and a popular hero in Sweden. Also a Norway newspaper called him the American who knew Scandinavia thoroughly. He died at only 55, but this man lived when he was alive. What kind of weird Scandinavian Batman is this? (laughs) Makes you even more wonder where he got his ideas for Centrovia, the fictional country in this novel. I, I appreciate Nancy Drew being written by an author who she herself would be pleased to meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sounds like some of the people she's helped out in previous novels who were doing ridiculous archaeology things and things the like that. The gemstones from <laughs> my Scandinavian idol have disappeared, Nancy. I need your help. The first line of this book is, We will crash! Oh! Oh! There's a very... Well read. <laughs> 
You like that acting? It was a, it was a good re- reading. There's the very scared man sitting across from the attractive reddish blonde Nancy Drew on the airplane. Nancy, a comforter as always, says, please don't worry. Only the engine has stopped. We'll be all right. On a scale of one to ten, that would offer me negative one comfort if I were on an airplane. Interestingly, what Nancy could have easily said is, don't worry, I've been in at least one plane crash. (laughs) And I've watched my father in two others. We'll be fine. Planes crash a lot around me, but we'll be fine. Well, this man was also not consoled. He says, my beloved Centrovia. He's very worried about secrets in his briefcase or something he's muttering about. He specifically says, my work. He wasn't inventing the atom bomb. He was doing important underground work, Carl. Nancy is returning from a trip to see her aunt in New York. Aunt Eloise? Per huge. They do land. Nancy does not die in a fiery crash. So this book continues. Yeah. She looks over at this man and does an I told you so. That Mm -hmm. wasn't bad, was it? No, they're there. (laughs) And he says abruptly, a miracle, and gets off the plane. I think we have to acknowledge the thick Centrovian accents we're going to be dealing with in this book. So many of them are French. Il miracle. She pauses to tell the stewardess how much she enjoyed the flight. Miss, miss, <laughs> excuse me, miss, I liked it. Oh, thank you. So we're told George has a slender figure, mm. much like Nancy's. Yeah. But Bess, on the other hand, was slightly plump and worried continually about her figure. That's right. The, weight, the body weight shame is, is back. back. Yeah. yeah, like... We couldn't go without that, I guess. And it just makes me mad. It really does. I don't like it. I just don't like the way they do Bess. I think Bess is good. I like her. More about that later. (laughs) More about that constantly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But she's bragging because she's recently lost two whole pounds. That's the way to do it. Do it slow. She credits this recent weight loss to a dance class she's taking in reducing. I love that. The idea of going to a dance academy (laughs) to do reducing dance, which just sounds like you're doing jazzercise, right? Yeah. George is as mean as she used to be now. Bess takes it off in dancing and puts it all back on by eating. That's the one way. Yup. If it weren't for Bess, we wouldn't even have this mystery, okay? Yeah. She tells Nancy about Henry and Helene Fontaine, who run and own this dance academy she's been going to. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Nancy, you have to meet them. They're wonderful, and they have a simply delightful accent. Wait till you hear them. Bess goes on to say that this isn't just any dance academy. This isn't a dance academy for dummies, Hope. (laughs) They also teach about the history of each dance. Which makes sense since Bess is a nerd. It's an educational dance academy. Mm -hmm. So before we do any of the reducing dances, they say, This dance was invented by the Richard Simmons. (laughs) How fascinating, says Nancy. Nancy, of course, was always intrigued by the background of any art form. (laughs) Or like any information, Nancy's intrigued by how pigeons work, so whatever. I love her constant curiosity the most, I think. Now, since Bess did leave her purse at the dance school, they might as well run 
back there very quickly. When Bestwin's inside to get her purse, she finds something absolutely horrid. Henry and Helene are upset. Yeah, she comes back out and Nancy's like, oh, your purse wasn't here. And she's like, I didn't look for it. I didn't even look for it. (laughs) Nancy. Shut the hell up. Important things are happening. Please come with me, Nancy, and see if we can help. Now, Nancy hesitates. Ever the polite one to respect others' privacy, she thinks perhaps the matter could be a family affair. And I simply wouldn't want to... It's a mystery. Okay. (laughs) No, No, Bess is sure there's more to it because she heard that they were frightened. And you can't be frightened by a family affair. Nope. Only mysteries are scary. And this is enough to get Nancy to, quote, need no further urging. They go inside and they hear Henry. I'm afraid this is too serious a problem. That's my French accent. Mm, I don't know if it's a delightful one, though. (laughs) (laughs) So he says to Bess, this is too big of a problem. You can't help. There's no way. And Bess is like, hold up. Nancy does mysteries. And he's a ha ha ha. A girl detective. You are very pretty and hardly look like a detective. <laughs> to this absolute insult and affront, Nancy laughed merrily. <laughs> She's used to it. She's like, oh, go on. I'm afraid Bess is giving me too much credit. I love that she says that because. Best barely gave her any credit. Yeah. And she's literally solved over 30 mysteries in the last year. Yep. So, what are you talking about? She follows that by saying, but I'll be glad to do anything I can for you. If I heard that, I would be just like, oh, okay, no thanks, lady. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought you were a detective. But that's that itself is too much credit? Well, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just a stranger now. But Henry says, we do need a friend. Nancy's like, I can do that. That I can do. (laughs) Perhaps you girls are the ones to help us. The Fontaines reveal that they are originally from Centrovia. That's the place from earlier we heard about. Centrovia was taken over by... Enemy forces. Enemy forces. And the Fontaines' parents, Henry and Helene's parents, the Pavlovs, because they changed their name when they fled to France. Mm-hmm. Their parents were trying to join the underground to mm-hmm. usurp the enemy forces who took over the Centrovian government and made Centrovia into a dictatorship. And that's why they fled to France. They were all dancers. The Centrovian government got mad at Henry and Helene because they were giving the jewels that their parents bequeathed them to the underground movement. They came to the United States because... They received a note. They received a threatening note. Would you even call it threatening? It was just like, hey, leave. I thought it implied that the government was after them. But anyways, they do. They uproot their whole life. And now they've received a second such note. And it says, hey, leave. Yep. So that's the problem. Nancy's like, I just met a man from the country, the nation of Centrovia. Perhaps you know him. Yeah. Since Centrovians all know each other. I believe Centrovia is about the size of Milwaukee. Yeah. Is my understanding. (laughs) So she... It's a smaller country. She describes the stranger from the plane and they're like, no, we don't know that guy. Maybe you didn't really understand how tall I told you he was. Let me go over it again. Do you know this guy? So Nancy says, no, don't leave. Just stay. Yeah, don't do what notes tell you. Yeah, especially anonymous ones. So Helene says, you are a true friend and just think we have known you only a few minutes. 
May I call you Nancy? What charming old world sensibilities. Yeah, Nancy loves that. Henry also asks, they're all on a first name basis now and they're all friends because of this conversation. And in, the, in this novel, I want to explain that her car is such that Nancy, Bess, and George all sit in the front seat. Like that's where they, when they're driving around town, it's one of those three seaters in the front scoot down seat belts bucket seats yeah 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 yeah. no got to go they gotta go so they're driving along nancy spots the centrovian from the airplane Mm -hmm. and she says best take the wheel and hops out of the car i yeah she does (laughs) i don't know exactly how that works i think she best just like had to scooch over like presumably nancy put it in park but you don't know that you don't really know <laughs> we do know Bess did not have time to understand what was going on. <laughs> yeah. She chases after the Centrovian. Unfortunately, he's he's a wily gentleman and she does not catch him. Now, throughout the novel, she spots him like everywhere, especially near her house. Yeah. And it makes him look very guilty. But then again, she also finds George at one point just randomly happens to be driving by her. So it's a small town again, I guess. Yeah, I guess once again, there's not many places to be <laughs> in River Heights. Uh, it's basically the dance, stu- dance studio and that's it. <laughs> Now, Hope, mm-hmm. you have to understand that Nancy was greatly admired in River Heights because of her unusual ability to track down elusive clues, as well as her courage and quick-wittedness. And she, and it doesn't mention this, but she was also hot. Uh, <laughs> I sat behind her in math class. Oh man, let me tell you, the back of her head. Uh... Her home was a spacious dwelling on a street lined with old sycamores. Uh, These are are just descriptions that I'm loving, by the way. Yeah. Carson was a tall, handsome man. Nancy loved his pleasant disposition and the twinkle in his eyes, as well as his keen mind. (laughs) So everyone freaking rocks. Everything's great. I did think this novel was pretty well written. I mean, yeah, it's, it's... not exactly the thing you've heard before, but it re it, it reinstates that like this yeah. is nice. This is a nice place. They're rich. Carson hears her out. Of course, she has to go to Dad first with any mystery. It sounds very serious. He tells her, <laughs> "I'll talk to the government authorities when I'm down in Washington." Zap now. Yep, <laughs> that's just a little zap, little zap flavor for you. <laughs> and I love this. Luckily, he gives permission. To Nancy to search for this mysterious man. Mm -hmm. Hey, Dad, can I use my eyes outside? (laughs) Can I take my eyes outside, please? Suddenly, a woman shows up. I want to sue, she says, and Carson's the man for me. woman that nancy's familiar with yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. this is mrs boyd and she shows up because she wants to sue over a statue with a crack in it she bought it for a man who won't refund her he says she cracked it yeah mr howard when she brought it back to him like personally i don't like his return policy because he's like costco he is not yeah no refunds you probably did that and she's like i certainly did not nancy so it is time to sue over this statuette Mm -hmm. she's gonna get her 15 dollars back nancy offers to go talk to mr howard perhaps he'll see reason when she goes there her keen eyes spot that every one of his bisque statues is faulty in the same way 
The All same exactly the same crap. Yep. Begrudgingly, Mr. Howard does agree to refund in the end. I love that when she approaches him, he's like, oh, well, I just didn't think the crack was bad enough to refund it. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. he really mm-hmm. falls away from uh-huh. that she did it story. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, it wasn't even that big a deal. <laughs> Nancy, it was only a little broken. Nancy immediately decides these statues may have been used for smuggling. They all have cracks in them. I mean, she remembers her time working at the art dealership. Sure. <laughs> so, is like, what am I going to do? I spent a lot of money on these. The young sleuth expressed her sympathy and said she was afraid there was nothing he could do. Except, of course, sell her all of these statues for $10. There you go. <laughs> and, You're welcome. And not only... Watch me smash these in front of you. No, no, no. All for $5. No, she's not going to smash them in front of him. He has to open them up for her. And then he has to glue them back up for her. So for $5, she gets all those statues. And he has to do all that work. And she he, she supposedly offers sympathy, but I wouldn't count that as sympathy. Pity the man whose shop Nancy Drew walks into. You never know what she's going to want from you. <laughs> she does find in one of the statuettes a piece of paper. <gasps> a clear... It has a number on it. Tell me if this means anything to you, listener. 10561-B-24. Oh my god. If you assign letters <laughs> to numbers, forwards or backwards, or in any fashion, it makes no sense. Back home, Carson compliments her for losing him business. A way to solve that case for me, Nancy. What'd you pay you? Oh, nothing? <laughs> complimented her for having settled the matter so quickly and satisfactorily. So he also tells her the good news. We have permission to take care of the matter here. Yay! Permission! gave us permission. Government permission to take to look into things. Nancy wants to have the Fontaines stay at the Drew household. Hannah says that's asking for trouble. But we all know she just doesn't want to clean. Hannah, these are very dear friends. I met them minutes ago. <laughs> Nancy coaxes her father and Hannah by promising she'll keep it a secret, except from close friends. Okay, but also, can you help Hannah clean? <laughs> They also concoct a plan to keep school open without the Fontaines being able to run it. Of course. Bess will teach classes. Nancy will teach classes. Several other teachers they know of, I guess, will teach classes. And then they just need to find a manager. How hard could it be? I think I think it's a shame they didn't bring George in to teach some judo. <laughs> I mean, I think you could get, like, it's the same type of thing. George specifically says, thank goodness you're leaving me out of this. I don't want to teach. I love that George is the active one and the physical one mm-hmm. but dance is like too girly or something too, too girly for her just then dark-haired ned shows up at the door ned what's his relationship to nancy we don't know it doesn't say hello everybody any new mysteries a couple nancy admitted listen we need some help and i thought she was asking him to do this is what's so funny there's a certain dance academy that could use a manager yeah they do ask him to do it best asks him to do it and then he does these ballet poses which i guess are comedic <laughs> it's as if he's back in his tights costume or whatever yep. <laughs> i i just find it so funny because like they're looking at him and it sounds like they're just saying we need a man uh-huh. We need a manager. We need a man. We need a ma- There's no men. <laughs> Business no man. Luckily, Ned knows better than to try to manage 
a dance academy and suggests his mother, who's an accomplished businesswoman, perhaps, or, you know... We don't know. Older woman who knows how to do things. Owner of many houses. Owner of so many houses. And she does. She's She comes through in a pinch. She's a great manager. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she does need a lot of days off. Ned's like, well, I'm doing a counselor's meeting. Deuces. Bess and George agree to patrol the streets. If any suspicious characters get too close to the Nancy Drew house, they'll let Nancy, they'll do something. Yep. <laughs> they will keep them away or let Nancy know they're there by waving at her. The idea is, probably a white <laughs> handkerchief at this point. The idea is, we're trying to get the Fontaines into the Drew house without anyone seeing. George does propose a white handkerchief. I'm telling you, that's like half of their code. They even ask, suppose we see a suspicious man. Should we call a police person? And Nancy's like, if one's near, but otherwise don't even bother. Yeah. Then she's like, well, they're probably, we don't know that they're guilty. So maybe not. Right. Just, no, just, I don't know. Just throw your body in front of them. Suffice it to say, they do see someone suspicious lurking around the Drew house. Uh-oh. And in a sudden fit of inspiration, George thinks of something that she can do to distract him. She, like, times it so that they walk casually by him and meet him just under the streetlight. Correct. And at that point she says, Excuse me, aren't you from Centrovia? <laughs> Good start. Good start. Uh-huh. He's like, how do you know me? She says, I just, I work for the paper and we're doing a big story on people from Centrovia. <laughs> and just what it's like to be people from Centrovia. Can I interview you? I want to interview you for the paper. He's like, but I don't I don't want to be in the paper. <laughs> She's like, it's too late. Uh, so she just hassles him until he literally runs away. Well, he's like, what's the big idea? Yeah. It sounds a little bit like a villain. Yeah, because the villains eventually, when you ask them questions, will just be like, I, ain't, I got a right to privacy, ain't I? <laughs> Uh, but also, it turns out men that you just waylay on the street don't want to. Also, might say that. Yeah, and I think that if <laughs> I think that if like an eighteen-year-old mm. ran up to me in the middle of the night, <laughs> clearly not working for the paper, and was like, "Hey, aren't you from Kansas?" and I'd be like, "What?" <laughs> I, I would assume that there's a prank going on, and I don't know if this guy has TikTok, but this is what it seems like because it's like a TikTok prank or something. Well, they all have a good laugh about it later on in the book. Yeah. But now, George and Bess have bigger problems. Nancy's still not back, and she's supposed to be. Hannah is also worried. Nancy's plan is to drop the Fontaines off at a private airplane owned Mm -hmm. by someone Ned Nickerson knows. Not Ned Nickerson. He's not quite rich enough for that, but he knows Mm -hmm. people with private Mm -hmm. airplanes, probably Mm -hmm. in his fraternity. Apparently, if it's a private plane, it can't be traced. Like, nobody could ask, where was that flight going? Not allowed. So then the Fontaines are going to immediately take a train back to River Heights. And it's a public train, which can be traced, but that's fine. And Nancy is going to drive them to her house, where they will hide. That way anyone who's keeping an eye on them thinks that they did in fact leave. So this starts out all right, but as she's watching them get in the plane, she sees a slender black-haired man (gasps) who is just staring at her. How? Insolently. No. Yes. The insolence. (laughs) To the point where she finally breaks gaze. She finally looks away. Oof. 
And when she looks back, he's gone. She wonders, well, that was weird. So she decides she has to investigate. This is what I love is, and you might be about to mention this. What I love is how she's worried that he might talk to any of the crew or baggage people Mm -hmm. or someone who doesn't know not to say where the private plane was going. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so maybe it wasn't such a good idea. Mm Mm-hmm. If, like, a ton of people know and don't know not to blab about it, yeah. maybe it's not as secretive as you thought. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. So now she spends all of this time investigating, so she doesn't have time to go home. Mm-hmm. Or even to call. She doesn't dare risk calling. Mm-mm. Off to the road she goes, and she notices that sinister-looking man is following me in his car. Insolently. <laughs> yeah. She thinks, oh, I'll get away from him. I'll turn off onto this curvy windy side road that he surely doesn't know about i will turn off my lights so he won't see me unfortunately sometimes when you're on curvy roads you have to put on your brakes and he sees her brake lights so he follows her on there gets her into a ditch comes up to her her window and says where are the fontaines i'm their friend i'm a friend of theirs this is how we get in touch (laughs) (laughs) he tells her you are playing a dangerous game And uh, she's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. And he's like, oh, you will. But then a couple drives up behind and he runs off. One versus one he can take. They follow her to the train. Yeah, as as a form of protection. to the town. Yeah. She goes to the train to wait. She doesn't dare get out. She doesn't see anyone around, though. No more insolence. (laughs) When they get in the car... She drives away without a word, as they had previously discussed. Oh, yeah. They don't say hi. so strange, because, (laughs) like, what is a hello gonna do? But, like... Just to make it extra, like, spy mission. She just tries to get in, she drives off, and it's like five minutes before she talks. I always find it amusing when Nancy decides to give information or not give information. Mm -hmm. Nancy did not want to frighten the couple. But she felt that they should know every detail of the case. So she tells them what happened to her. I don't want you to be scared, but I'm being followed and you're in danger. (laughs) They don't recognize the man by his description just so weird because he's from centrovia (laughs) we don't know that okay if he is they should know each other when nancy gets home she sees a suspicious man across the street from her house it looks like the guy from the airplane and she decides to drive around the block luckily when she gets back bess and george are motioning her into the driveway come on <laughs> so they go in and Nancy's like, no big deal, but this guy, he just sort of like pushed me off a road and threatened me. You know, the normal stuff. And Bess says, oh my gosh, what an idiot. She says, oh, Nancy, I knew this would be a dangerous case. Yeah, that's why she took it. She gets off on that. What a faux pas. Like, honestly, Bess, what the heck? Don't even bring the room down. The Fontaines looked very uncomfortable. (laughs) And Bess regretted her remark. (laughs) She apologized explaining she had not meant it the way it sounded. There was danger for all concerned. She just hoped that the mystery would be solved soon. Boy, how embarrassing (laughs) for her. (laughs) To cover the embarrassment, luckily Hannah is here to offer milk and sandwiches as a midnight snack. Yeah, that'll sound better than the egg on her face. (laughs) And so 
Helene says, I have a special mission for you, Nancy. Could you call Mrs. Parson and tell her I will no longer be able to dance in her charity dance? <gasps> Luckily, Nancy knows Mrs. Parson well and shows up at her house to tell her this. Mrs. Parson, through a series of trying really hard, ropes Nancy in to replacing Helene in this dance. Because she'd also lost another dancer, right? Yeah, she's even more upset about losing her star dancer, Millie, Millie Koff, Koff, who is from Centrobia, but disappeared. Put that away for it later, because Nancy is late to meet Mrs. Nickerson, who, by the way, looked very pretty, Nancy thought, with her prematurely white wavy hair, which rude, her <laughs> petite figure, and her stylishly tailored cotton dress. <laughs> What a sexy old lady you make, Mrs. Nickerson. So Mrs. Nickerson's glad to be involved and hopes that something exciting will happen with this whole dance studio business. Yep. Which, like, settle down. Let's Hopefully nothing exciting happens. There are children at this school, <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Nickerson. You want to burn down? <laughs> Nancy has to prepare her dance for the charity audition. I love this part. Nancy must improvise and feel the rhythm of the music. <laughs> combining new rhythmic movements with classic ballet. <laughs> In fact... Nancy realizes as she improvises her own choreography to her own heart's feelings that her movements betrayed her love of mystery. <laughs> yep, yep. She smiles to herself. She found herself giggling. Ha 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 ha. My dance is a graceful chase portraying the conflict between someone being pursued and the pursuer. Does it, Nancy? Does it? Are they shooting at each other? Like. <laughs> yeah, you just imagine Nancy like. Doing a graceful dance across the stage and then being like, I've got you! <laughs> and her graceful dance, no! <laughs> Nancy has put the entirety of the secret of the old clock into an interpretive dance. At that point, she goes to rehearse at the Civic Center and she spots the insolent man. <laughs> she chases him but doesn't catch him. These Centrovians are slippery. I don't want to feed into old stereotypes. <laughs> but boy, these Centrovians can shake a pursuer. Having said that, when it comes to the dancing, Nancy was not displeased with her performance. She did realize it could be improved, but it was good enough for charity. After the dance rehearsal, Nancy speaks to Mrs. Parsons about someone she saw her talking to before the rehearsal. Mrs. Parsons says he was asking for the Fontaines. But Nancy thinks, I wonder if he really is a friend of the Fontaines. One starts to wonder. The last friend pushed her off the road, so. Now Mrs. Nickerson, her first day on the job, says, I'm sorry, I just remembered I had a previous engagement this afternoon. You don't mind taking over, do you, Nancy? Nancy has to calm down Bess, who is scared to teach. But she's very relieved when Nancy says, I'm in the safest place I could be, this dance studio. Foreshadowing. A woman comes in who is a coarse-looking person, wearing too much makeup and a strong, pungent perfume. Sounds like a villain to me. She's wearing a flowered red and green dress, a red hat, and she has reddish curls. Too much red. She introduces herself as Mrs. Judson, and she says, Where are my friends, the Fontaines? Grump, 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 grump. 
And Nancy's eyes flash as she says, I cannot tell you. This woman is a Karen. She immediately begins a tirade. I want to see your manager. You can't keep my friends from me. Why of all the dance studios? The Constitution guarantees me my right to friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nancy says calmly, there are children here and we can't have a disturbance. So you gotta leave now. Nancy leads her by the arm to the stairs. It's moments like these. I'm like, yes, Nancy, please. You're my hero. Unfortunately, once at the stairs, Mrs. Judson elbows her in the hip like super hard. Nancy is also not expecting this attack. Certainly not hard enough, though, to push her over a band. No, no. Yep. She pitched headlong down the steps. Oh, no. Not only that, but they are steep steps. Oh, God. She's apparently waving her arms wildly in an attempt to save herself all the way down. It doesn't work. She goes all the way to the bottom of these stairs and lands on her ankle. Um, oh, what? Oh, no. As she's laying there stunned. Certainly this woman comes to help her. No, Mrs. Judson runs down the stairs, jumps over her, Uh, and leaves. Bye. Nancy is shocked and angry. She was sure that Mrs. Judson was no friend of the Fontaines. (laughs) Friends of the Fontaines almost never pushed me down the stairs. (laughs) Just then George comes in and says, Hypers, what happened to you? Nancy says, I'll be alright, but follow that woman. I must know who she is and where she lives. These are the two important pieces of info if anyone ever knocks you down the stairs. It's all the info George needs because she waited for no further explanation. (laughs) Adios, I'm going to do it. So Nancy hops up the stairs. Bess, Nancy, you're hurt. Bess was furious with Mrs. Judson. That awful person. So she takes care of Nancy's ankle. Now George followed this woman to the post office. I feel like George follows a lot of people to the post office. That's where everyone goes in River Heights. George watched her get a letter that seemed to disturb her greatly. George was able to pick up the envelope after she, I don't know. Dropped it, yeah. Like, littered it. Dr. Milton visits to see Nancy's leg. Says she'll be fine in a day or two, though Hannah believes that dancing school isn't worth it. Hannah doesn't believe any of the mysteries are worth it. No, not really. Classically. (laughs) Helene also says, we can't let you keep going. It's dangerous. But Nancy had grown very fond of the dancing couple. Besides, she was determined that the Fontaines did not know Mrs. Judson. Case closed. So Nancy has Hannah steam the stamp off the letter. Very clever. That's how you do it. She saw a little bit of ink at the edge. And what does she find under that stamp? But the same number as that was inside of the statuette. They all try to solve it as if it was a code, right? The A to the 1, the Z to the 1, Egyptian, just everything. But finally, Nancy says, this may be not a code. <laughs> that this it's, it's starting to occur to me <laughs> that this could be like a serial number or something. Perhaps we shouldn't have spent hours on this. I love how she's like, have you ever solved any cryptograms, Helene? And Helene's like, a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Sunday cryptogram I've done. It came up in my work for the Centrovian Underground. Oh! Uh... <laughs> 
So finally, Hannah gets Nancy to go to bed and brings her supper in bed. The next morning, she hops down the stairs. Henry and Helene are looking very serious. Uh Uh-oh. Apparently, they are embarrassed that they are not paying the Drews to stay with them. Mm Mm-hmm. But Nancy says, we just love having you here, and you can help me in the case as no one else could. Besides, nothing you could pay me would be enough for the work I'm doing at the dance studio as well. Oh, but there's one thing. Uh Henry is a painter and he will paint Nancy's portrait. Oh, good. Nancy says, Carson will be thrilled. He's been wanting a portrait since his birthday when I gave him a different portrait of me from a famous painter. (laughs) But yours will be good too. Yeah. Helene chooses which pose. She says, it's serious. And yet Nancy has a little smile. To me, that is just the way she looks. Which is kind of cute. George comes over and says, Hypers, Nancy. I thought you'd be in bed. Where did you learn to fall down a whole flight of stairs and come up with nothing worse than a few bruises and a twisted ankle? I mean, and Nancy says, I know you slept through that class, George, but I fucking aced the test. Yeah, like I was in the circus just a little bit ago. <laughs> right? I know how to tumble. <laughs> It takes a lot of practice, Nancy said with a laugh. After telling Mrs. Parson that she won't be at the dance rehearsal due to her ankle, she says to Bess and George, Now I'd like to cruise around. Driver. After a half hour, they still haven't managed to accidentally run into any of the bad guys. That's how so many of these mysteries are solved. (laughs) So she has to have George go into different hotels and restaurants. George says, yeah, but how will I know it's the person? I've never met these people. And Nancy says, well, here's the description. If you see them, come out and get me. I'm not hobbling into every this single one. This tall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dark hair. They go to all the hotels, and then they go to a lot of restaurants before they finally go to the Regal restaurant. Uh, yeah. It's like steaks and stuff like that. I can't afford it. The diplomats love it. Anyone from another country. Yeah. <laughs> so a cashier there says, I saw this. Judson's dining here. I heard them saying Raul. Does that mean anything to you? Nancy thinks maybe that means Raul. Could be. She overheard the lady who sounds a lot like Mrs. Judson saying, you'd better come across with a nice bit of jewelry for me or I'll spill the beans. Dana. That sounds like her, said Nancy. (laughs) That sounds like someone who would push me down the stairs would say. So the waitress, who, you know, only overheard bits of their conversation, says, You know, Alice, I overheard that they live on Oakwood Avenue. (laughs) So Nancy visits Oakwood Avenue. It's an apartment building. Now, the Frenchman in 1A isn't the Judsons, but he is quite charming. Oh, charmant. The so pretty American girls. He's, he, you know, he's a little, he's a little flirty with these American girls as, a, as only a Frenchman can be. Mm. Only the French and gay can pull this off. So he points out the Judson apartment, but not before the girls were thoroughly amused by his exaggerated mannerisms. Unfortunately, the Judsons have moved. George was fuming and Nancy, too, was discouraged. But when Nancy hobbles home, she finds Ned on the couch. Say, what's this I hear about a busted ankle, says Ned. <laughs> The flirting is so weird in this novel. It's beautiful. Since you can't mystery with a broke leg, he says, how about a double date instead? 
with the Fontaines, who are brother and sister. I don't know if we mentioned that. Yeah, we did, because we said they're parents. And that's like, forgetting. you know, a double date with a brother and sister. That's legit. You know, Nancy, if we go on a double date with the Fontaines, they won't kiss, so we won't feel pressured to. <laughs> Oh, no. Nancy says, how about for our double date, we stay in and I'll make you an apple pie. Who can say no to that? Many times we're reminded throughout the Fontaine stay at the Drew household that they had the curtains closed. Yeah, they don't want anyone to see into the house to see the apple pie or the brother and sister dating. <laughs> After dinner, the doorbell rings several times. The Fontaines naturally hide in the kitchen as Hannah answers the door. Here, they see Airplane Man. He pushes his way into the house. I'm Airplane Man, and I demand... <laughs> He's wearing a handkerchief on his face. Mm -hmm. What's the idea of forcing your way in here, says Ned. Fisticuffs. <laughs> And George's judo's right behind. Running in the door. We got Ned on tackle, George on judo, <laughs> and Hannah will get tied up if, if it needs to be done. However, this man, who identifies himself as Johan Koff, says he is no threat to the Drew household. Koffs of the Millie Koff family? Yeah. George is disappointed. She sags against the door and says, You mean I've been shadowing you for nothing? He's You're, like, you've been what? You've been so inconvenient to stop. <laughs> I love how like at first he's like, don't let them in. They followed me here. And it's George. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it turns out Johan Koff needs Carson's legal help. That's why he's been hanging around the neighborhood, I guess. You know when you um, <laughs> when you have a crush on a lawyer and, and you got to build up the courage to ring their doorbell yep. and you just kind of hang around the neighborhood practicing what you're going to say mm -hmm. and then when the time comes you barge in like an idiot. <laughs> Ugh, ruined it. Apparently, when he got to the hotel after getting off the plane, he realized that the suitcase he had was not his suitcase. Oh no, a suitcase swaparoo. It said it belonged to Red Busby, so he mailed it to Red Busby in New York. Naturally. David Judson, Mr. Judson, probably Mrs. Judson's husband, is now going to sue Mr. Koff because there were secrets in that suitcase that he sent to his rival, Red Busby. Yes, this is probably a distant relative of mine or at least of my husband's busby is my married name this busby spells his name b-u-z-b-y though which is kind of a step up from my b-u-s-b-y it's even buzzier now whenever i have secrets in a suitcase what i'll do is i'll put the name and address of anyone i don't want it sent to right on the front of the suitcase yeah to really make it clear this is who you should not send and send it to anyone but this address yeah. same way with my dog yeah my rival's Ideally. address is on all my dog's tags uh, so well, apparently this is a legally sound case though because Nancy's like, can he even do that? And Carson's like, oh yeah, he could totally win. But I don't know. We, we'll we'll find out. Carson and Nancy have a little looking at each other's faces <laughs> off and decide that this man, they don't know if they can trust him. They're not sure he's telling the truth. Yeah, they have some sort of like psychic conversation. Mm. <laughs> you see, Nancy tries to make small talk with him and is like, oh, do you know any dancers? Like, he's like, oh yeah, my daughter, Millie Koff. 
And she's like, oh, okay, you know any other dancers from Centrovia, maybe? Well, I did know the Pavlovs, but they disappeared after the takeover. Hmm, do you know any other? other? <laughs> and they decide this is suspicious, because why out of everyone would they mention the Fontaines? But you know who's excited about that? The Fontaines, who burst into the study. They've been listening at the door. Did someone say Fontaines? Now, of course. Carson and Nancy watch these Centrovians excitedly talking in their native language and decide that they're about to come to blows. They're very nervous. Plus, those tricky Centrovians start talking about smuggling or something like that. Very suspicious. So finally, Carson's like, excuse me, can you speak in English? Do you think Centrovian language is like German? It just like sounds angry. I, that's the implication, I think. <laughs> or Russian. Uh, Russian probably sounds pretty angry. The apology that Carson receives is, we Centrovians are excitable. Very much passion. <laughs> yeah, uh, which I don't know how I feel about any of this like weird fake stereotype and i don't know listen yeah. it's just nice to get a weird fake fairly white stereotype yeah yeah european it's so, just yeah. nice mm -hmm. carson says no 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 no, no. This guy doesn't have enough legal standing. Just go back to your hotel. Don't hide. He probably won't sue you. And if he does, I'll defend your case. It's like bullies. Mm -hmm. You know, people who <laughs> sue you are all cowards. Yeah. And if you stand up to them, they'll definitely back down. Mr. Koff says, yeah, but you have to understand that that suitcase that is still missing, my real briefcase, it has Centrovian underground letters. <gasps> like, it's my life's work. It's very important to the Centrovian underground that we find this. Yeah, 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 we'll try. After Mr. Koff finally leaves, George says, I just can't make up my mind about that man. One minute I trust him and the next I don't. Hmm, could it be because he's a foreigner? Could that Ooh. be part of it, maybe? Listener, the rest of the book, you will hear the question, is Mr. Koff guilty? <laughs> so look forward to that. Carson is just like, I don't know. Uh, undercover agents are very clever. Like, he could have been faking all of that. Mm -hmm. You see, a smart man would drink <laughs> the, the one in front of him. But a spy <laughs> might drink the one in front of me. <laughs> Nancy decides that... Probably the Fontaines should move out of the Drew household. Meanwhile, Carson gets a phone call from Mr. Koff, who has just left, yeah. that says, please go to New York. Meet me there. I have a lead. And Carson knows it's really Mr. Koff because of his thick Centrovian accent. Yep. Couldn't be anyone else. Yep, yep, yep. Ned helps Nancy come up with this plan to bring Henry and Helene to Cedar Lake Cabin. Which is at least the third house we know the Nickersons own. Yeah. And nobody's staying there right now. Yeah. So... They're only one family. How could they stay in all their five houses? Secretly, Nancy and George were amused. You see... Anna seemed delighted to have her guests leave. I told you. <laughs> I could tell. So Hannah packs them a lot of food, apparently. Don't knock the door on your way out. Get out of here. I imagine that she's packing up all the Centrovian food they made her buy while they were there. Just like fish herring, strange spices. You know, all that Centrovian food. Muddled deer. Boar, perhaps. After everyone leaves, mm -hmm. Hannah says, Final freaking Lee. I am going to sit myself down and read a book. That's what I think she does. I think she reads. She hears 
somebody on the porch. And she thinks, oh, that Nancy. Nancy always forgets her keys. She's always on the porch forgetting keys. I'm telling you, ADHD. Like, there's no way at this point. I want to say that she's wrong about Nancy always forgetting keys, but I can think of at least two books where it's central that Nancy did lose or forget keys. Yeah, yeah. Then she hears the doorbell and she thinks, oh, yeah, it must be locked. That Nancy loves ringing the doorbell. So she goes and answers it. And it's not Nancy. What? It's a couple of bad guys. And they push their way in and they say, where are the Fontaines? We know they're here. We're friends of theirs. Ah, this makes Mr. Cough look pretty bad, don't you think? Well, he was just there. He found the Fontaines. Mm -hmm. And now bad guys are here? So Togo comes out barking like a good dog. Our hero. Bark, 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 bark. And this man throws Togo Mm -hmm. and ties him up in a curtain. That's what we call a kick the dog moment. Hannah's like, oh no, you did not. Mm-hmm. You do not tie up our dog in a curtain. Excuse me, I just cleaned that curtain. <laughs> and so he ties her up as well. Ties her to a chair and questions her about the Fontaines some more. She's like, nope, not talking. This couple searches the house thoroughly, decides, oh, the Fontaines are not here. Question Hannah again. Hannah's not having a good time. You tell us where the Fontaines are, or you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Oh no. On the one (laughs) hand, I don't want to tell you where the Fontaines are, but on the other hand, I hate regretting things. Cut to Nancy, Ned, and the Fontaines Mm -hmm. approaching Cedar Lake Cabin, and unfortunately, there's a light on in the cabin. There's a light over at the Frankenstein place. This doesn't look good. This looks like, who's in our house? Could be anyone. Ned says, maybe a tramp broke in. A lovable tramp. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe it's a girl who just got in a canoe accident. Oh, maybe it's a bunch of teenagers <laughs> whose car broke down and they're worried about the guy with a hook. He sneaks up to the cabin to, to investigate uh-huh. and he comes back laughing. It's just some of his frat brothers. They have a standing invitation to be there. So why would you assume first that it's a problem or a I, tramp? I forgot like, that hundreds of people can come here at any point. Yeah. And it's one of them. Uh-huh. This happens to be Art and Steve, who are very attractive. Oh my god, I don't know. Steve, but I don't love Art. Mm, other way around for me. Oh, interesting. Helene says, no, 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 we do not want to spoil their fun. <laughs> we'll find somewhere else to hide. No one's less fun than a couple of young dance instructors. Ned says, no, they'll protect you. They'll love having you here. It's great. Helene says, I have heard much about these American fraternity boys. It will be nice to meet some of them. I tell you, that is a line straight out of like a saucy novel or something. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I have mur- I've heard much of this American kissing. Could we try it? It was at this point that Carl heard me laughing and yeah. came running to hear what I was laughing at. Well, especially because like, what are they going to be doing? Her brother's there. They stay in different rooms. It was specified earlier. Oh boy. <laughs> and they will be very glad to meet you, says Ned, knowing exactly what's going on here. <laughs> so yeah, they describe them as good looking and they describe them as very solicitous about Helene. <laughs> you can count on us for protection, at least until late tomorrow night. <laughs> then we have to leave. Who leaves a cabin late in the night? <laughs> like someone who's got a kegger to get to, I guess. <laughs> Nancy says, okay, if we're going to keep in touch, let's make sure there's a way that we know it's each other. The code word is Scarlet. Remember those Scarlet slippers? I'm going to find a way to make that the title of this mystery. I don't know if 
we mentioned, but there were scarlet slippers that belonged to Helene's mother. Hanging on the wall. That were hanging in the dance studio. And God bless them if they have anything to do with this mystery. <laughs> Helene impulsively threw her arms around Nancy's neck and kissed her violently. No. Sorry, no, it just says kissed her. Though Steve whistled and said, I wish I were a detective. To which Helene blushed. Something is happening in this cabin tonight. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. The tension is real. It isn't often that I get a chance to ride along the Muskoga River with you in the moonlight, says Ned, as Nancy and he travel back to River Heights. <laughs> Romantic. Guess I can thank my lucky stars tonight. <laughs> so, like, Smooth. his frat brothers very well might be making out with a Centrovian, and he gets a car ride. <laughs> He's pretty happy. Back home, the romance ends when they find... Togo and Hannah each tied up in different ways. Togo is now in a room under the stairs. Apparently he escaped from the curtain and attacked them again and that was too much for them. They just shoved him in the closet and left. Eventually you don't want to be attacked by a dog anymore. You've done a wonderful job tonight, Togo, says Nancy, before giving him a puppy biscuit. Then Nancy and Ned look for clues. So Nancy and Ned comb the whole household and they discover a palette knife that hadn't been there before. Weird that they brought and dropped that. It has the letter R on the handle. R? For nearly an hour, Nancy and Ned talked about the possible meaning and both were sure it had special significance. After an hour, what are you saying? Like, I don't know. Maybe there's another palette brush with toys and us on it. I don't know. I assume they're just listing our words. Very odd. It also gets brought up a lot in the book. Mm -hmm. We never find out for sure. No, it it might be the brand of palette knife. (laughs) It could very well be. Nancy says, well, I'm going to go back and ask Monsieur Guillaume if he knew anything else about the Judsons. He's French. He's helpful. Let's do it. I'll go along, said Ned with a wink. Best told me about Monsieur Guillaume. Nancy laughed. He thinks you're pretty, and that's a direct threat to me. Nancy laughed, assuring Ned that the man did not interest her. She said she would be delighted to have Ned go along. There's nothing going on with him. In fact, you can come. You can come. You'll see. There's nothing. There's nothing there between us. He's like, okay, I will. I will come along. The monsieur says to Nancy, I see you have brought your fiance. And this never gets corrected. I am so curious because they don't define the relationship at the beginning. Mm-mm. They don't correct him. Mm-mm. Do they get engaged between books? I know, right? Or do they just think it's not worth correcting him? We'll find out next time. Your wish is my command, Guillaume says with a sweeping bow when Nancy asks for more info. Ned frowned but said nothing. Frenchman. Monsieur Guillaume says that Mr. Judson is what you Americans call a washout. He was not good company. I did not like him. What is a washout? I've never called anyone that. You know, it's just not good. He's what you Americans call a dib dabber. Huh? <laughs> what? Well, she doesn't really get any more information from him. Sure. I, I assume this was just to develop the jealousy with Ned story. Right. They go home and Carson is there looking dejected. Apparently, it was a wild goose chase. Why am I doing him French? (laughs) It was a wild goose chase. A hoax. 
it sounded like cough on the phone. Did cough do this to him? Did cough send him on a wild goose chase? I'm starting to think that cough may be, may be guilty, like all some trophies. Nancy tells Mrs. Parson, good news, Millie Cough's going to be in the recital after all. And Mrs. Parson says, don't worry, somebody else dropped out. You can still be in it. If you thought that there wasn't enough personal tragedy amongst my students for you to be in this show, you were wrong. <laughs> Nancy substitutes for Mrs. Nickerson again who has a sick friend this time yeah, she's not doing a great job Bess in between her classes says Nancy be a darling and keep talking to those girls while I run out for a soda really Bess a soda <laughs> what about the calorie count says Nancy it's not usually Nancy who comments on that kind of thing it weirded me out the plump girl said with a laugh haha one soda won't make a difference She's right. Just have your soda, Bess. And she went and drank four sodas. <laughs> As Bess is off enjoying her break, one of the children cries, Look, there's a witch out there. Mrs. Judson, she's back. And this time, she is wearing a pointy hat, yeah, I think they said. she's wearing a witch outfit. Why? We don't know. The only disguise she owns, I assume. Uh, Mrs. Judson just rushes into the dance studio long enough to grab the scarlet slippers from upon the wall and away with them. Nancy tries, but once she's lost that slippery Centrovian, she realizes she's been chasing her in a skimpy ballet outfit. Oh no! If you thought it was embarrassing to kiss Ned Nickerson on your own porch, you should see the stare she's getting as she walks back to the ballet studio. <laughs> From the studio, Nancy phones the police. Carson goes with Nancy then to Cedar Lake. Inform Helene that her mom's slippers have been stolen. Now Carson had talked to the stewardess on the airplane, the, the very stewardess that Nancy had thanked for the wonderful flight, to see if there was a Frenchman on that flight and what his name was. And there was. The Frenchman's name was Raymond Bull. So they ask the Fontaines, could Raymond Bull be a friend of the Judsons? An artist friend, specifically? Could his R be the one on the palette knife? And the Judsons say, no, that doesn't know. We know all the people in Centrovia. That doesn't know. He can't. So it and could. And in France. And in France. So, so it must be a fake name. Meanwhile, Helene's very upset about the slippers. Now, Helene is upset that her mother's slippers have been stolen. But Nancy is focused on this paint knife with the R on it. Mm -hmm. Fontaine's. Are there any artist friends? Any artist friends of the Judson's viewers? What Tell me about artists. And at this point, we start to hear the story of Rene and the Twelve Paintings. See, there was this man, Thomas Rene, who commissioned them to paint dance paintings for a dance school. It was supposedly some kind of contest they were entering to try to get contracted to do all the paintings for like a dance place of some sort. Yep. So Thomas Rene said, here's my wife, Madame Rene. Paint her doing ballet. I want 12 paintings. Also suspiciously, I think, Henry Fontaine was told, don't sign your paintings. That is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Nancy says, that's odd. <laughs> I always love when she says that. Yeah. So Madame Renee is not a very good model. She is so bad at modeling that it can't. He she he can't paint her and make mm. it look good. So he says, "Can I paint Helene instead?" And luckily, that's not insulting at all to anyone. <laughs> this results in Madame Renee being very jealous of Helene. Sure. 
accusing her husband of only having these paintings painted because he's into Helene. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, Madame Renee never comes to America. Sure. They're having some serious marital issues, I think. <laughs> also, for some reason, they paint all of these paintings with regular ballet slippers, but the very last one, they use the scarlet slippers in. Is that an important clue? <laughs> so Henry's telling this story, and he's like, come to think of it, pretty soon after I finished those paintings, that's when we received the threatening note. Nancy hmm. says, do you think that that could be linked nah. he says you know i never thought of it but that's possible yeah mr drew is very pleased with the progress on nancy's portrait he declares it his christmas present <laughs> which is a ways away like it is confirmed that this is summer in this novel perfect this can be my christmas present instead of another tie <laughs> but i don't Didn't have he space get a really cool gentleman's box for christmas last year or something like that yeah it was like a without his birthday i don't know Didn't he's didn't he get the recipe for <laughs> stronger Unbreakable enamel. Unbreakable enamel. So now there are three R's that Nancy knows about. Raoul Judson, <gasps> Raymond Bull, and Thomas Rene. <gasps> Not to mention a red-haired guy. Carson, the next day, calls her into his office for some news. Apparently, Thomas Rene is wanted by the French police. <gasps> but they're still no closer to solving this mystery. I tell you, the moment when Nancy's like, boy, this R could mean anything, and then lists the things it could mean, mm. is when I was like, this mystery is too difficult for me. This, is, <laughs> this has gone out of my... This, this is, is not what Nancy Drew is supposed to be. Yeah. I want a funny named man who I can know is bad. That's what I need. Nancy says to her father, all our facts are on the negative side. Let's try a new angle. Hmm. Carson says, what? What do you mean all of our clues are on the negative side, Nancy? That doesn't really make sense, so I agree. What? Mrs. Parson calls up in a tizzy because Millie Coff missed rehearsal. Nancy's like, I fail to see how this is my problem. <laughs> Nancy goes to lunch with Carson. At the lawyer's club, Nancy found herself the center of attention. Naturally. Her father's friends enjoyed exchanging sallies with the young detective and trying to stump her on naughty problems. For a time, Nancy nearly forgot her own case. But not forever. It's creepy to me. It's just creepy to me. Yeah. Like, it feels patronizing. It feels like, oh, how cute, a young girl detective. Let's outsmart her. Let's put her in her place. Or we're hitting on her. Either way, creepy to me. But all that attention really <laughs> rejuvenates Nancy. Now, Customs tells Carson that of those 12 paintings, 11 were sent by Thomas Rene and one by Raoul Amien to a dealer in New York City known as Pierre Duparcon. Carson was pleased at his daughter's knack for quick deductions. She places an ad in the Gazette to locate some of those paintings. Wanted, you know, ballet paintings, long walks on the beach, etc. <laughs> Later, Bess and George become lookouts as Nancy checks for replies. I guess you get those at the newspaper agency at that time. Yeah, and it's like that very afternoon she's going back. Right. It's like quick turnaround. Yeah. Bess does signal that Mr. Cough of the Centrovian Coughs was watching Nancy intently. He says, oh, I just happened to see you and wanted to speak to you. Oh, good. <laughs> Way to make yourself look suspicious, cough. Yeah, Nancy, merely slightly suspicious, asks, Are Renee and Amy and friends of yours? I love when Nancy gets a bad guy by just saying names. Mm. And they're either like 
how'd you know? Or, why? <laughs> well, Koff takes the, I've never heard of them approach. <laughs> Miss Detective, he says, were you trying to trap me? Are these men enemies of the Centrovian underground? Nancy merely smiled and did not reply. <laughs> She's very coy with whether or not people are trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> yep. When he can't get Nancy to stop smiling, he says he's still concerned about his suitcase. Nancy finally reads her responses that she picked up at the Gazette. One of them is a threatening response. Uh-oh. Stop your detective work at once or you will find yourself in grave peril. Oh, no. Oh, no. Bess is so shaken by hearing this, she stays too long at a stoplight and gets honked at. Sometimes, you know what, sometimes I'm at the stoplight and they don't go right away and I think, give them a second, they might have just gotten a newspaper threat. Bess says, whoever wrote that note means business. But Nancy knows better. She says, this doesn't scare me. Writers of anonymous notes are always cowards. And I don't intend to be frightened by one. Yeah, yeah. If you don't (laughs) sign your name, then you're a scaredy cat. (laughs) Bess turned to George for moral support, but her cousin agreed with Nancy. Yeah, why would, Bess, why would you do, have you not learned? The second note, irrelevant, doesn't mean anything. But the last one is from the elite dancing school in Stanford. The elite dancing school? Mm-hmm. They've got some great gymnastics and yoga. So that afternoon, Nancy goes to the dancing school. Not the, not the elite one, the one here in the River The Heights. one, yeah. And more than half the students don't show up for their classes all afternoon. Uh Uh-oh. So Nancy calls around to all the parents who are being kind of shifty about it. Like, well, well, we just don't want lessons for our kids anymore. Finally, she talks to Mrs. Muller, who she's on pretty good terms with, Mm -hmm. who spills the beans. Spill those beans, Mrs. Muller. She says, I've received a a note that said that the Fontaines are wanted on charges of smuggling, and that's why they disappeared. So I thought I would join this good old moral panic (laughs) and uh, put a business under because of fears. Yeah, yeah. And Nancy says, how wicked, Mrs. Muller. There isn't one word of truth in that story. How can you be sure, says Mrs. Muller. I won't send my child to anywhere I can't be sure that no one did anything bad at. Because my father is handling the affairs of the Fontaines and knows all about their dealings, says Nancy. So Nancy takes the time to call every mother in River Heights and convince them all that her daddy said that the Fontaines were good guys. No, this is weird because Nancy herself throughout the novel is like, can I really trust them? Am I sure they're good guys? I'm pretty sure they're not. I'm pretty sure they got away with it myself. You know who's expendable? Mm. Other people's children. Yeah. And that's fine with Nancy. Well, also she's staking her father's name and reputation on being right that the Fontaines are nice. That is, that's an overstep. (laughs) Even Bess asks, Nancy, do you think there might be any basis for the idea that the Fontaines are wanted by the authorities but nancy assures her i can't believe it and besides i wouldn't take the word of anyone who is afraid to sign his name to a letter you freaking chicken i we've never heard this argument i read books of poetry and i see anonymous and i'm like yeah you don't deserve to be published anonymous now pen names that's another story that's fine When I go to the bathroom, I better see your name under your poem on that wall. 
if you do not sign your graffiti... Do you think this is him passive-aggressively telling Harriet Adams he will take none of her shit? <laughs> Nancy is obsessed with names being signed to letters. It's her new thing. Best says stoutly, nor I. Yeah, nor I. Yeah, I was never thinking that might be true. Next morning, Bess, Nancy, and George go to the elite dancing school. And they see that the painting they have is of Helene. Nancy buys it for $35, which tells us nothing about the economy at the time. I don't know if that's a lot or a little. I guess you could get like seven times the amount of figurines for that. But they'd be cracked. Nancy happens to know it was sold to Thomas Renee for, for a lot more than many that. times that amount. She knows she's really taking advantage of this dancing school. So she also finds out who who sold this painting to the dancing school. And it was a man with reddish hair. Whoa. Reddish hair are more ours. <laughs> Though, it could have been one of the people she already knows about wearing a wig. Yeah. Consider wigs. <laughs> she must not have any more space for paintings in her whole house. <laughs> because she just gives it to the Fontaine. If she liked it at all, you know she'd be keeping it. Well, my understanding of these 12 paintings is that if you set them up around the room, they represent the Stations of the Cross. And every Christmas you can go to the dance hall and you can follow how Christ was crucified through these... <laughs> Well, perhaps Nancy doesn't want these paintings because they've been tampered with. Tampered with? According to Henry, ruined completely. There's some kind of paint tack tacked in various strategic positions. Hmm, maybe that's why they had a palette knife. (laughs) Maybe they were smuggling jewels. Bess is incredulous. She says, what? You can't smuggle jewels in paintings. That's ridiculous. Nancy says, no, 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 because they could x-ray it in the frame, but not in the painting itself. Henry says, let me show you how it's done to make myself not look any more suspicious. Yeah. Here, give me your costume jewelry. I will pick out a diamond and hide it in this painting for you. I was really confused about this for a little bit because it, I was like, it would be such big lumps. But I think in my head I was thinking like Hope Diamond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. cartoon diamond. Yeah, not teensy one. And then like I thought about it for a second. I'm like, wait, diamonds are small. Yep. <laughs> you could put those in paint and hide them. But yeah, my first thought I was trying to figure out how you get like grapefruits you, onto it. <laughs> you were with Bass on this Yeah, <laughs> I was. Nancy at this point decides Mr. Judson might be Raoul Amien. I'm not sure why she makes that leap. I don't know, but this is absolutely the case of one of those books that gives everyone too many names, and I Mm. cannot stand it. Finally, everybody asks Nancy what's next, and she says, laughingly, it's time to swim. I have swimsuits for people in my trunk. Oh. (laughs) So they go swimming in Cedar Lake. (laughs) No need to plan when you're with Nancy Drew. She's got it. Next morning, they all meet to call all the ballet schools. George finally finds another Helene painting in Harwich. Bess says, that's almost 200 miles from River Heights. Nance says, what's 200 miles? Bess says she can stay behind and take care of the school, but she's not getting out of this one. They find a substitute for her. What is 200 miles? Maybe it's a maybe three-hour drive or something <laughs> there and back, right? Yeah. Three, four hours. It's a day trip. Luckily, they didn't go all that way for nothing. It is the real thing, a painting of Helene. Miss Desmond, who owns this dance school, is uh, very startled <laughs> when they blurt out that there's smuggling involved. She says, oh dear, I hope this won't involve me. George says, I didn't mean to imply that. And she regretted being so blunt. 
I tell you, the rudeness of these girls. Mm-hmm. Stop mentioning danger around people. It's it's quite gauche. Now they find one diamond in this painting, proving their smuggling theory. And also like proving the absolute ineptitude of the smugglers. And they just Miss... leave diamonds in paintings. And Miss Desmond thinks, oh no, they're going to think I'm guilty. But don't worry, Nancy says, we believe you bought the picture without knowing all this. I'm doing far too much tax evasion to be able to handle this right now. Miss Desmond also says, I I certainly got my money's worth, didn't I? She sells the whole painting to Nancy for $10. Does she keep the diamond? No. Okay, so you didn't get your money's worth, did you? Nancy says, if you want to be proven innocent, go with me to the police. So they do. And at the end, Miss Desmond says, Thank you for getting me out of an embarrassing situation, and good luck in solving the mystery. To our listeners, <laughs> if you find a smuggled diamond, don't go to the police. They can just arrest you. They'll just arrest you. Nancy, at this point, thinks that the figurines are also for smuggling. She discovers that the man who sold all those figurines to Mr. Howard was named Mr. Wart. <sighs> They head back. George points out that Nancy has taken the wrong turn. Nancy does nothing wrong. (laughs) I know, said Nancy. We're off to visit the Fontaines. But there's a barrier in the road. George says, in disgust. (laughs) Well, of all the things. Why didn't they put up a sign earlier telling us not to go down this road? They're about to walk to where the Fontaines are when they hear a heavy French accent. Do not turn around. You are my prisoners. And we'll do exactly what I tell you. They don't turn around, but there is a mirror. So, (laughs) easy peasy. Nancy sees the cruel looking Mr. Judson. (gasps) Clever of me, wasn't it? He says, I took down the sign. (laughs) Oh, well, George, do you feel bad? Mr. Judson shoved a sharp palette knife between the face of Nancy and Bess. One false move, and I'll use this to advantage. You'd better believe me, so don't test your luck. I've cut paint before, and I'll cut you. (laughs) Bess looked faint, and George's jaw was set. So Nancy tries to trick him a little bit, but don't you need, do you want to go park your car somewhere better, or not leave it behind? (laughs) And he's like, no such luck. You're going to be nice young ladies and lead me to the Fontaines. I know how clever you are, Miss Drew. And I am not falling for your trick. (laughs) And I am not clever. (laughs) Nancy nudges Bess and murmurs, don't worry. So that's pretty reassuring. Oh, there you go. Nancy also spots Mr. Judson's car. In spite of their predicament, the young sleuth felt a sense of satisfaction. He doesn't know where Helene and Henry are. Nancy sensed, too, that they could kick his butt if they got him out of the car. So Nancy just keeps driving along the highway, hoping to run into a state trooper. Mm -hmm. With a man sitting in the backseat with a pallet knife. No such luck this time. Mr. Judson says, I know the Fontaines aren't hidden along the highway. How do you know that? He just knows. So George had surmised Nancy's plan. She gets a notebook out. She writes, do you want Bess and me to tackle him? Nancy says, not yet. Does Nancy say it out loud? She doesn't have a... She takes one hand off the wheel and writes in the notebook, at which point Mr. Judson is unhappy. He says, keep both hands on the wheel where I can see them. Don't text and drive. 
So Nancy remembers that Bert Fraser, the police officer, lives nearby. She is too close a relationship to the police. Gets off the highway as commanded, which makes Mr. Judson a lot happier. When they get to the house, the officer is just coming out of the house. Bess immediately yells, Officer, we're being kidnapped! Smart. Kidnapped? Asks the officer. At this point, Judson makes a flying leap over the back of the car and runs away. They're all running after him. And as they're running, Nancy is gasping out her story. (laughs) Nancy figures out he's running straight for the cabin that Henry and Helene are at and says it'd be better not to chase him than to chase him into the place where my friends are. So they stop chasing him. Officer Fraser is going to set out a general alarm. There's no way this guy's getting away. Yeah. Nancy and George felt as fresh as ever, but poor Bess was panting and insisted upon resting a few minutes. So we can thank her for him getting away. Don't you want to reduce Bess? Officer Fraser says, I think we have him bottled up. And Nancy says, I'm sorry I let Judson slip through my fingers. Mm. The trooper smiled. Like, how is she taking responsibility for that at all? She should have um, delivered him to the police better. I guess. So the cop offers Nancy a ride and she beams. She's excited to ride along because obviously he's going to catch Judson. So she'll get to talk to Judson. Nancy dismisses Bess and George. You guys can go home. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But George is like, we want to see this through. So they get back to where Judson had parked his car. It's gone. He must have made a quick getaway. But even worse, when they get to the cabin, the Fontaines are gone as well. Oh, at first they're like, maybe they went out for a hike. George doubts the Fontaines. Maybe they ran off. But Bess defends them. Nancy, ever the deciding factor, sides with Bess. We have a winner, Bess. So Nancy leaves a note. Scarlet, let me hear from you. Good note. But by morning, Nancy is forced to admit that the Fontaines have vanished entirely. Was it voluntary? Was it by force? Who's the bad guy? What does the R stand for? The young detective was bewildered, and at this point, I am too in the story. I'm like, come on! All clues seem to have come to naught. At the Gazette, where she had put her ad, four letters are waiting. Three are irrelevant, so whatever. But the fourth letter was unsigned, cowardice, and mysterious. Nancy read it several times without understanding it. So she brings the letter to her father. The man had put his contact information, said, call me for more information. Her dad says, well, we'll call him. But first, I'm going to talk to my friend who can put an extra line into my office. So while you're talking to him in the other room, I'll be listening in in the office and Hannah can run between us relaying messages to each other. It's the top in spy technology. Immediately, Nancy recognizes the voice as Mr. Coff's and she tells Hannah, tell my dad it, it sounds a lot like Mr. Coff. Hannah says, it can't be Mr. Coff. He just went by in a car. Mr. Coff, why are you hanging out our house so much? <laughs> so the caller says, it will probably seem sentimental and romantic coming from a man. There's a trace of a chuckle in his voice. I come from a foreign country. Ugh, how sentimental and romantic. And Nancy said, what country is that? As if she were trying to be polite. (laughs) And he's like, oh, it's Centrovia. She's like, oh, really? Never heard of it. Yeah, never heard of it. So eventually he 
reveals that he has the Scarlet Slipper painting. Ah. I think somewhat impulsively, Nancy's like, yeah, come on over with it. Sure. So he comes over. We're going to have a whole ass extra line installed to be careful with this guy, but come on over. He is not Mr. Cough, but he really sounds and looks like him. So Nancy says, do you know a Mr. Cough? And he's like, oh yeah, that's my cousin. Oh, well, there you go. Uh-huh. So he hasn't seen him in forever. Nancy says, you want me to call him over? Yes, please. Reunion time. Okay, but no talking in Centrovian. <laughs> this man's name is Mr. Schmidt. And he has a painting of who he thinks looks like Madame Provac. He is right because Provac is Helene's mom, right? Original name. They yeah. changed to Fontaine when they moved to France. Right. Nancy says, I am an amateur detective and my father is a lawyer. We are working together on the Provac case. Mr. Schmidt is surprised that Henry painted this because he's suspicious of the painting that it's a smuggling painting because he has found several gems hidden in this painting. It's just bursting with gems. Each was thinking how careless the smugglers were not to have removed all of the gems. There's more gems in this painting than there are in the pockets of a captain. Oh yeah, walking back from a brass trunk. Mr. Schmidt mentions that the Provax previously had a spotless reputation. And Nancy says, oh, I'm sure Helene and Henry are honest. I know this looks bad. This looks like maybe Henry smuggled these jewels, but I believe that's not true. I have true. never backed a bad horse yet. Not only that, but a red-haired man sold Mr. Schmidt this painting. The red-haired man. Yeah. Mr. Koff apologizes for being so excited when he reunites with his cousin. The Druze smiled, understandingly. We all love our cousins. Mr. Koff reveals that the letters in his case are about the smugglers. <laughs> and both Centrovians expressed a hearty certainty that the Fontaines would prove to be honest. In an evidence of good faith, Mr. Schmidt leaves the paintings with the Druze. And the Druze kind of to themselves are like, mm, that is going to give us a risk. But okay. You can leave them here, but our house is robbed a lot. <laughs> The next morning, Nancy receives a startling telegram, also called a night letter from Cliffwood. That's that's a a great, that would have been a great title for this whole thing. Yep. Your help is no longer needed. Stop. Any continued interest in our case on your part will prove embarrassing to us and dangerous to you. Signed, Helene. So, not a coward, but a lie. <laughs> well, that's gratitude for you, says Hannah. Friggin' Centrovians. But Nancy gets a phone call from Helene. Nancy sat still for several minutes pondering the telegram and the phone call. Yeah, Helene calls and says, please come help me, and then gets cut off by a crash. Right, which happens a lot in phone mm -hmm. calls to Nancy Drew. Mm -hmm. So which does she believe? The phone call where she heard Helene's voice and the danger that happened to her? Or the telegram that are always fake? Who can tell? There's no way to know. The messages, thinks Nancy, are completely contradictory. So, she goes to Cliffwood to see about this sender. On the way, Nancy spots George strolling along the main street and asks her to go <laughs> along. Yeah. I got nothing to do. I was just looking for that guy. <laughs> George says, sounds as if Helene and Henry really have been kidnapped. Turns out the woman sender of this telegram was kind of loud in her dress and speech. That's not Helene, who's kind enough to ask if she can use my first name. That's Mrs. Judson. Well, I love that because it could be anyone, but yeah, it's no, Mrs. Judson. it's obviously Mrs. Loud Judson. Judson. 
Nancy decides to go back to the beginning. Let's look at those cracked statues. They keep being called bisque statues, but a bisque is a soup, so I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Carl. She, she gets Carson to talk to customs again, and she rehearses again. Mrs. Nickerson thinks Nancy's practice is quite good. Nancy, in teaching the kids, teaches them all about the history of dance, including the Pavlov's swans and grape-eating cockatoo. So then she has them all walk around like swans. Oh, right, like swans yeah. as a dance. Mm-hmm. And the kiddos thought it was lovely. At the right age, right? Mm-hmm. That seems like a thing. Yeah, we'd be fun. Rather have grapes. Ned asks Nancy on a date. He says, you need a rest from the Fontaine's case. Nancy says, oh, mm, sure. Uh, if it doesn't make a difference where we go, let's drive to Cliffwood. Ned says, why Cliffwood? Uh, uh, uh. Nancy says, Mrs. Judson sent me a telegram from there. So you're saying instead of a date, we do the case. Yep. So they drive into Cliffwood and Nancy sees Mrs. Judson going into a supermarket. Maybe she wouldn't have seen her if Mrs. Judson would walk around a little more quietly in her dress and speech. By the time Nancy catches up to the mysterious woman, she's checking out and leaving. Nancy tries to push through the line to chase her Mm. and gets told off by the cashier, as often happens when Nancy is in a grocery store. (laughs) Wait your turn, miss. These customers are in a hurry, too. Several women glowered at her, but she said, I'm not buying anything. (laughs) That made the store happy. I just want to leave. (laughs) Because she's been slowed down. She sees Mrs. Judson get onto a train, but does not have the time to get on the train herself. Ned pulls up just then in his convertible and says, Going my way, lady? Follow that train! Ned suggests catching her outside of the train instead of getting on it. I tell you, I have not seen anyone outfox Nancy Drew when it comes to being chased more than these Centrovians. <laughs> Mrs. Judson might cause a scene if she's captured on the train. Right. We don't want that. <laughs> Finally, after three stops, she does get out. Nancy dashed to her side and grabbed the woman's arm. In the scuffle that followed, the woman's purse falls open and the scarlet slippers fall out of it, proving her guilt. Ned yells to the police, arrest this woman! Because <laughs> that's how that works. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I love that not only was there a scuffle near enough police that they could be yelled to and they did nothing about it. I love that. I also love that her purse was big enough to hold, like, scarlet slippers and, I assume, her, you know, lipsticks and... and Her witch hat. Witch hat. Just like, you know. Yeah. But mostly, I have to say, Nancy, do not grab Mrs. Judson's arm near enough to train tracks for her to elbow you onto them. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what she does. Mrs. Judson tells the officer, this Nancy Drew calls herself a detective, but she's a lawbreaker. Nancy says that they should all go to the police station. She thinks if she can keep Mrs. Judson talking, she's going to slip up. Yeah, let's all go to the police station is really the uh, cut the baby in half solution. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, how, I'll go, how about we just all go to that? No way, I want to do that. I'll be on my home turf at the police yeah. station. Even in Cliffwood. Now, this is an officer, so let me do this right. All right, miss, (laughs) says the officer. Now, this police chief in Cliffwood. Captain Crane. Is bald and round-faced. Just a big circular face. Chief, this girl's crazy. My husband and I never stole anything in our lives. And as for smuggling jewels into the country... (laughs) 
Mrs. Judson stopped speaking and covered her stop with confusion. Oh, I, I didn't, huh? Not once had Nancy mentioned jewels. <gasps> Tricked her. Which is the, I don't know, it's I can't even with Miss Judson. Miss Judson tried to claw Nancy, but Ned restrained her. Captain, says Ned, I think you may know Nancy Drew by reputation. I don't know where Cliffwood is. (laughs) Just down the Moscow guy, I assume. Her father is Carson Drew, a lawyer in River Heights. Indeed I do, says the captain. I've read about your exploits as a detective. I've got all your books. (laughs) Nancy asks, Where in your town, Captain Crane, might a prisoner be kept? Is there anything abandoned or creepy? Is there like a local spot that that bad guys bring their victims? Isn't that a funny question? Yes, it's a very funny question. And I love it because it's like 101 Dalmatians. Somebody speaks up and is like, there's an abandoned farmhouse, but I've seen some smoke coming from the chimney recently. Right, right. And that's one of his policemen is like, yeah, it's a a farmhouse. It's abandoned. The only abandoned place in town. It's it's where I always send the Scooby-Doo kids when they come through so this officer donovan volunteers or is kind of told by captain crane is to volunteered bring nancy and ned to this abandoned farmhouse they meet there an old quote-unquote deaf and dumb man now this is not appropriate language you should say man who is non-verbal don't use the term dumb so he writes that his name is brown And that he's living at the farmhouse with his wife. When Officer Donovan brings them back to their car, Nancy says, let's go back to the farmhouse without the police. That old man isn't deaf. How do you know? Asks Ned. I saw him turn when a dog barked. And she's decided he's not old or nonverbal either. How do you know that he's not old? Because the dog was a robot dog. And old people don't like technology. What they do is they wait in the shade until someone comes out of the house. It's that man, all right, without a mustache, and he's no longer an old man. To prove her point, she whistled, and the man turned around. The man was a complete stranger to Nancy. He was shocked initially, but then he relaxed and smiled disarmingly. Ned says, what was the idea of the disguise? Ned makes it clear that they are going to stay outdoors for their interview. (laughs) Nancy would have liked to look for clues inside, but she said nothing. This man says he's from France. He's a detective. He doesn't know much about the American police or how to correspond with them. Weird. And he's trying to find this couple who are jewel smugglers. In spite of herself, Nancy gasped. You know the Fontaines, he asked. You mean the ones who used to be in River Heights? Good move, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Please tell me more about the smuggling. It's unbelievable. So he says Henry smuggled these jewels out in his paintings in mm. order to secure funds for some of his undercover activities. <laughs> I'm always looking for funds for my undercover activities. It's so tough to fund your undercover activities. Undercover? Asks Nancy. The man did not explain what that means. So Nancy at this point has put together that this is likely Thomas Ren- He's a tall, thin, and gaunt-looking fellow. Which is how she remembers... Just like Thomas Rene. Henry said Thomas Rene. Yeah. I could almost believe, says Nancy, that you are Thomas Rene. (laughs) The man started. Got him. You are clever and observant, young lady. I guess. (laughs) 
It was Nancy's turn to be amazed, as she had fully expected the man to deny it. You seem surprised. This battle of wits is exciting. I have nothing to hide. He tells her a large quantity of valuable gems were stolen in a suburb of Paris at the time that the portraits disappeared. Perhaps you are right, Renee says when Nancy points out that he does not have clear evidence. Nancy says, well, if I can help you, I'll let you know. I have a hunch, as you call it, says Renee, that you young people will solve this mystery for me. Is Renee a good guy? What are your names? Ned, instead of giving his name, asks, Did you ever hear of the Colemans? This is a chess match right here. Mm -hmm. Nancy was a little bit puzzled by Ned's ruse, especially since she recalled that Coleman was his middle name. I don't know why that's the confusing part. Why, Nancy? Why? Wait a minute. So Nancy doesn't want to leave. So half dragging and half pushing her, Ned gets her to go back into the woods, at least, where they stop to have a parlay. I don't trust that guy, says Ned. Nancy says, but what was the idea of giving him an impression like that? Impression like what? Ned asked in some surprise. Nancy, anyone who heard you would think we're husband and wife especially a man like Renee. That Renee is so monogamous. He sees anyone and thinks they're together. Especially if they're called the Colemans. That's a sexy name. That's a couple if I've ever heard one. The Colemans. <laughs> young up-and-coming couple, the Colemans. <laughs> Ned laughed heartily. Well, someday I hope it'll be true. Ooh. You want to change your last name? And for your information... I hope he'll think we're married now. If he's a spy or a kidnapper, as I suspect, he'd better not find out your name is Drew. It's Drew. Drew. You hear it Drew, echoing Drew, through. Drew. <laughs> Birds flying up. The less he knows about us, the better. Nancy smiled then, took Ned's arm, and said, You're on the warpath, aren't you? Ned said, Yes, I'm going to do something about it. I didn't like when you said that we were together, but I do like when you do things that are irresponsible. <laughs> oh, good. Ned wants Nancy to drive to the police, and he's going to go back to the house and keep Renee there somehow mm. until the police get there. Maybe they shouldn't have let the cop go to begin with. Mm. No time for that now. Ned and Nancy think that Henry and Helene are in fact innocent. Uh, well, <laughs> finally, they've come to that conclusion. <laughs> Suddenly, a coat is thrown over Nancy's head. Her hands are pinned behind her. So you are Nancy Drew. Double crosser. You will never notify the police, and you will be sorry you ever tried it, <laughs> says a voice. Nancy is tied up as she hears the man mumble to himself that he will hide her in Ned's car. He drags her through the woods. Stones and twigs scratch at her, and she gritted her teeth against the pain. He leaves Nancy gagged. You'll mind your own business from now on and not interfere with mine. If you disobey, I shall not be so easy on you the next time. He is a loquacious villain, yeah. to say the least. Mm -hmm. Now, at first Nancy struggled, but the car became stuffy. And she began to feel faint. Uh oh. Oh, I hope Ned is more watchful than I was, says Nancy. Renee had clearly lied to them, telling them a suave but untruthful story. Otherwise, why would he be so afraid of the police? Mm -hmm. Which, like, yeah, but also why would he tie you up and throw you in a car? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he lied to you. 
Furthermore, it says, Nancy was now confused as to whether or not Helene and Henry Fontaine were innocent. Sure. I mean, also, it's getting hot in the car, so she might have a bit of a brain fever. (laughs) Instinct told her they were blameless, but the evidence seemed to be contradictory. But Instinct! Ned searches the building. He finds no one. As he's leaving, Renee runs up to him and says, I'd hoped to find you here. Why? Uh... Because he's suave and untruthful. Your wife's had an accident down the road. I'm going to phone the police. Realizing that Renee meant Nancy. Nan- <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if he hadn't? No. Like, who? My who? <laughs> Ned was torn between a desire to get more details about the accident and a wish to help Nancy immediately. He decides to run and find her. As he's running, he realizes perhaps Renee's story had been a hoax. And just then, a car drives by with four people in it. A couple in the back who look a lot like the Fontaine. (laughs) Ned calls the police. They send out an alarm to watch for that black sedan that had driven by. Mm -hmm. And they come to help find Nancy with the now frantic Ned. Officer Donovan, arriving on the scene, says, It looks bad. So they follow the footprints, then they follow the tire tracks. It's a very detailed, long description. But ultimately, they do find Nancy in Ned's cream-colored convertible. Ned scolds Nancy right away. This is a fine end to my plan for a nice ride and dinner this evening. You suck, Nancy. And for once, Nancy apologizes to Ned. Oof. She says, I'm sorry, Ned. Sorry about getting stuffed into your back seat. <laughs> Ned decides it's a good time to go home and get dinner on the way. But I'm a sight, says Nancy. Apparently kidnapping is not great for the overall look. Yeah, she was dragged through the woods. She can't go to dinner. Nancy suggests that they eat canned food from the farmhouse. Maybe there's canned beans in there. You know how we all love baked beans. Yep. Uh, So they go to search it. Ned gets what she's doing. Nancy Drew never gives up until she solves a case. So Nancy borrows Donovan's flashlight, who says, I'd like to watch a girl detective work. In the wax floor, she finds signs that Helene has, in fact, been practicing her dancing. She explains, dancers have to practice every single day to stay in shape. Or they die. (laughs) It is funny that they were kidnapped, but they're like, okay, practice your dancing. Yeah. You have an hour. Yep. So this farmhouse had been rented by Raymond Bull. Now that's the name of the man who was on the airplane, but is also a fake name, it seems. George, waking up Nancy the next morning, says, Well, sleepyhead, tell us everything. George is such a dick. (laughs) Nancy invites Bess and George to search the farm with her. George says she wouldn't miss it. Bess will go because the police are guarding it. There they find the briefcase that Koff had stolen in the hayloft. That had been stolen from Koff. From Koff. Yeah. Did I say Koff stole it? It was ambiguous. Yeah. You said that Koff had Had stolen. stolen, and that is vague. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Oh, Nancy, put it down, says Bess. Why, says George. There's a note that says, do not read the contents or you will die. (laughs) I mean, that's all it takes to keep your stuff private. Who needs a lock when you can just put up a note that says, open this door and you will die? (laughs) It just sounds like something a seventh grader would write inside their diary. Right. It's like the blanket that says, beware, that freaked Hannah out. It's just like, you can write anything and these characters will be like, it's written down. (laughs) 
That's ridiculous, says George, in disgust. Just disgusted with Bess. You disgust me. <laughs> Nancy, you aren't going to let that stop you, are you? Now, Nancy normally wouldn't read Mr. Coff's papers. Certainly it's not. Super secret. Private. Centrovian underground papers. But. But she does see that Red Busby is mentioned. Guess I better read them then. Yeah, let's read them all. They go into the farmhouse. They spread them out on the table. They're going to read every single one. Mm. On the way, Nancy tries to check in with Officer Donovan, but does not see him. Oh, well, he's probably on the other side of the building. Phew, what a strong odor of kerosene. What would that policeman be doing with kerosene, says Bess. Probably just having a cigarette. You're fine. (laughs) Nancy shrugged. She was too interested in getting at the letters to care. I don't know what he's doing with kerosene. Probably nothing. (laughs) Probably just spilled some kerosene everywhere. Now Nancy knows French, so she's able to translate all these letters. Busby is outlining his plan to sell these letters to the Centrovian government. Bess says, how wicked. I love how unclear it is. She says how wicked about selling letters from a usurping rebel force Mm. to a government. And like, if it was obviously, if it was an American usurping force, they would be against that rebel force. But in Centrovia, they're for the rebel force. And it just, it's always so funny. Like, where do your values lie? Another letter says, don't worry. Nobody will ever find out who Judson is. So I feel like if you don't want someone to find out who you are, like what your fake name is, yeah, don't write, don't a, write it down. a letter about how nobody will ever find out. So they also find the number 10561B24, which you will recall, maybe, has been showing up numerous places. <laughs> Bess exclaims, the mysterious number again. Whatever does it mean? Nancy calls Carson, who calls the French embassy to ask them what it means. The Fontaines just then enter the farmhouse. Bess says, you? You're you're not smugglers? You didn't run away? Apparently Bess was really convinced they were guilty. Bess, you were on the right side earlier. Helene says, we were spirited away. Which doesn't make her sound more innocent, in my opinion. Yeah, that's not how you say you were kidnapped. The odor of kerosene was very strong now. (laughs) Again, Nancy... It's probably nothing. Again, Nancy wondered what Officer Donovan was doing with it. (laughs) So weird. Please do things with kerosene when they're guarding sometimes. He must be like taking off his own fingernail polish or I don't know. (laughs) So it turns out that Red Busby and Duparc kidnapped Henry and Helene. Busby, Nancy exclaimed, he's the one who probably stole the briefcase and planned to sell the letters. But go on. Renee rented the farmhouse, but Busby sent Renee off on a false lead. Boy. Then they were taken to another deserted farmhouse. Renee returned in a rage to the farmhouse. Helene and Henry were quickly moved to a different abandoned farmhouse that the police don't know about. When their guard left, they escaped the other farmhouse. And it wasn't them that Ned saw in the car. No. But two people who we never have to know who it is. Yeah. So they somehow got in touch with Hannah, who told them where to meet with Nancy, which is the first farmhouse they'd been kidnapped in. So that's why they ran into this farmhouse. Makes sense. We were fearful for your safety, said Helene. Nancy was touched deeply by their loyalty. There's an officer guarding, says Nancy. So please go on with your story. He's out there guarding us with tons of 
friggin' kerosene. And yes, it makes them look super suspicious that they showed up just then. Right. <laughs> you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm really kind of getting dizzy from all these kerosene fumes. I hope the officer stops with this soon. <laughs> First, though, says Nancy, I want to tell you that these papers in this briefcase are Mr. Coff's. Apparently, Busby and Duparc threatened Helene and Henry with guns when they kidnapped them. Yeah, we haven't seen guns in a while, really. So, lots of bad things from these bad guys. They told Busby when they were kidnapped that Nancy knew all about the smuggling racket and was closing in on the game. Smart. They sneered and said nobody could prove them guilty. But just in case, since we were never going to be free, they would tell us the whole story. So, they tell Nancy this whole story. We'll get to it. It's just a big reveal of who did what. And it is convoluted. But they are interrupted when Nancy realizes that smoke was seeping into the room. Hmm, I wonder what the officer is doing with all that smoke. Nancy opens the door to find that the house is on fire. She slams the door and goes to the window. To her horror, the grass, the bushes, the whole side of the house, all on fire. I wonder what the officer is doing with all that fire. In fact, a wide band of fire completely encircled the house. The amount of kerosene that these bad guys had to have on hand and meticulously pour around the entire house while being ignored is is astounding. Luckily, there's an officer out there guarding, so they're not in any danger from all this fire. Henry insists that they try to go down the stairs, since there's no other escape. They all put handkerchiefs over their faces. That doesn't work. The kerosene! Nancy thought ruefully. Someone soaked the premises inside and out and made an inferno of this place. Oh, it wasn't the officer? (laughs) Through the haze outside, she sees that Donovan has been knocked out. So at any point, they could have just looked out the window and seen that Officer Donovan was knocked out. They could have, but they trusted him. (laughs) Bess says, Nancy, oh Nancy, we'll die. And she clings to her arm. With the escape cut off, it seemed as if Bess might be right. So Henry thinks to try to call the fire department, but the wires have been cut. Nancy gets them to make a rope out of sheets and blankets to swing out the window beyond the flames. Henry, meanwhile, spots Duparc and Busby. Help! Help! Bess screams to them. The men looked up and sneered. Turning on their heels, they went down the lane. Do-do-do-do-do. They can't run off and leave us, says Bess. But Nancy is sure that they're the ones that set the fire, not the officer. (laughs) But there was no time for reflection. I did it to protect you! (laughs) They were getting too close. I thought they won't go through fire. Nancy's plan for escape worked. They swung the George of the Jungle past the flames. Yeah, like George swung and then put it over a branch and then everyone did like monkey bars down the rope. It's a long drawn out thing. You just need to know everybody got out safely right before the the whole thing collapsed. Hardly conscious of the intense heat, they hugged one another. (laughs) Alternatively, laughing and crying hysterically, their faces were black with soot and the smoke made their eyes smart. Let's go, said Bess. I can't get away from here fast enough. 
She's the only one with any sense. Yeah. They probably all have lung damage. Get out the marshmallows. Just then, Officer Donovan is regaining consciousness. <sighs> a car pulls in, and Bess suggests that they hide. Nancy agrees, but not for the reason Bess thinks. She <laughs> wants to leap out and capture the bad guys. You're right, Bess, but you're also an idiot. Too bad it's Ned. Whatever happened, he asks, very puzzled at the state of things. What did I miss? <laughs> Carson couldn't get her on the phone because of those cut wires, and so he sent Ned to find her. Apparently, 10561B24 is Raul Amian's passport number. Oh, it's... Okay. Nancy has the good sense to call the fire department and the police department. Nancy is pretty sure the fire can still be put out and some portion of this inferno can be saved. She also has a hunch that Renee and Busby will come back here to see the result of their horrible deed. Sure. And if they do, she says, you boys can take care of them. Ned says, nothing would please me better, and Henry says, just let me get my hands on either one of them. Officer Donovan tells them about being slugged. Yeah. He says, I kept smelling kerosene, so I went to investigate. I was like, what are those kids inside doing with all that kerosene? <laughs> Somebody comes up behind him and knocks him out. Yeah. That's the story. So Renee and Busby do show up. And the ensuing fight was of short duration. <laughs> Henry and Ned get them in their vice-like grips, and Officer Donovan slaps on the cuffs. Renee says, this is my home that burned down. You ought to have a little sympathy. Nancy asks where Amian is. Busby says, what would it be worth to you to know? My price is high. Nancy looked at the man with disgust. Right now, you're not in very good bargaining position, says Nancy. The police praise Nancy and all of her friends. Captain Crane said, read the captive the rights. Nancy rides along with Captain Crane as the two prisoners are handcuffed to another officer in the back. You probably have a few questions to ask them, he said with a twinkle in his eye. Nancy was glad for this opportunity. So Busby confesses. He glares in hatred at Nancy when she tells him that the smuggler had failed to remove a few of the jewels. The police also have Mr. and Mrs. Amian. The next day, the River Heights Gazette and newspapers all over the country featured the story of Nancy Drew and the mystery of the Scarlet Slippers. The young detective was deluged with telephone calls and wires. Though the wires are fake, mm -hmm. all telegrams are fake. I do love this. This is the first time we see kind of the greater aftermath of what happens when Nancy solves one of these mysteries. It's literally not the first international smuggling ring she's put down. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, if an entire ring of Centrovians mm -hmm. are in America, yeah, that's, of course, that's international news. Mm -hmm. Or at least national or at least, you know, a noon puff piece. Yeah, that would be news. I mean, I hope this doesn't hurt the movement in any way. <sighs> it's, you know, it's so hard to say. I think that both sides are right in Centrovia. Oh, no! I'm a centurist in Centrovia. Okay, so at this point, there are confessions all around. Yeah, we've um, decided to break down in this incredibly convoluted web of, of confessions who did what. In case you guys, like us, at the end of this are like, who, what? Yeah. What? 
in a villainous dating game. <laughs> Villain number one. Thomas René. He partnered with Raoul Amien to steal Centrovian jewels from the underground, specifically, and to smuggle them into America. So they successfully stole the jewels. They sent over a bunch in the Bisque figurines. That went well. Mm -hmm. Then they sent out a few at a time in 11 different paintings. That went smoothly. But then, alas and alack, Raoul Amien double-crossed René, put the rest of the jewels all onto one painting, and sent that over to America. René came to America to find Amien, also Dubarc, Duparc, the New York art dealer, and the Fontaines, who Amien had made to look guilty. After being sent on a merry chase by Red Busby, he finally trailed Raoul Amien to River Heights. As you know, he also kidnapped Nancy that one time, leaving her in the woods to suffer in a hot car. And, as you know, he helped Red Busby set fire to the farmhouse. Villain number two, Raoul Amien. He partnered with René, but double-crossed him, secretly sending the Scarlet Slipper painting to America, concealing a good part of their loot. He was in league with the New York art dealer Duparc. They shared the earnings, leaving René out. He sent the letter to the Fontaines to make them flee so that they would look guilty. When René caught up to him, he became desperate and sent the Fontaines a second note, hoping to send them on a further chase with Renee, as George says, but that was where his plan went wrong, because Nancy stepped into the picture and really whisked you folks out of sight, which frightened Amien. Amien also worked with Busby to try to get money from Koff. He wrote all the threatening notes that we heard in this whole book, and was one of the ones who broke into the Drew home. He tied up Nancy and Togo, and was the one who held the girls at pallet knife. Mrs. Bachelorette number three. <laughs> Mrs. Judson also helped tie up Hannah. She also, as you know, pushed Nancy down the stairs. She says, my husband forced me to do all sorts of things, including writing the anonymous notes to the students to get them to not come to the school. The one thing she did do independently of her husband is she stole the scarlet slippers. She thought there were jewels inside of them because she heard her husband talking about the scarlet slippers, but he was talking about the painting. Bachelor number four. Now you may think Duparc could have just been an art dealer and not been so darn guilty. However, Pierre Duparc, who was Amien's brother-in-law, who also was the man Mr. Wart who sold the Bisque figurines, he was very good at imitating voices. Ah. So he disguised his voice as Mr. Coffs and called Carson. Sending him on that wild goose chase. He's also the man who was driving the car with the couple that looked like the Fontaines, and they were also guilty. They were somehow part of the smuggling ring. But we, we don't know what they did or who they no, are. No, no. They remain mysterious. I think they were the Fontaines, personally. Bachelor number five, Red Busby. This is the man who sold the paintings in America. He also was the man who stole the briefcase on the airplane. He planned to sell those letters back to the Centrovian government, playing both sides and getting money from everyone. A small-time racketeer, he is related, we don't know how, to Mrs. Amien, <laughs> a.k.a. Mrs. Judson, 
Now, he acted as a spy for Mr. Amien, a.k.a. his relative's husband, and helped to lead René on a merry chase to keep him from finding Amien using the Fontaines. René accused Red Busby of tricking him, but Busby's glib tongue and quick brain saved him. He told René he could make plenty of trouble for him with a little bit of blackmail with the authorities. Busby, they say, is a bad one. So René tried to get away from him, saying we'll part ways, according to Helene, but Busby ended up helping Duparc to kidnap the Fontaines and helped René to set fire to the farmhouse. This guy's got his fingers in all the pots. He also worked with Amien to try to get money from Mr. Koff. You're too smart, he says, Miss Drew, but one of these days you'll come across somebody you won't be able to outsmart. Nancy ignored this remark. Do you know why? Why? It hadn't been signed. <laughs> Just a signature Nancy move. So with all this publicity Nancy's getting after the case, Mrs. Parson says, Nancy, even if you couldn't dance a step, I would have had you in our charity show. Why, my dear, you're the talk of the town. Would you just put her up there to look at? Nancy was glad to escape for a short time to the Nickerson cabin on Cedar Lake. For a frat party. The Fontaines, Mr. Coff, Millie Coff, Bess, George, and Ned held a private celebration of their own at the cabin. It was there that Nancy found herself wondering when another mystery would come along. She had no way of knowing that within a very short time, she would be involved in the witch tree symbol. <laughs> Nancy's thoughts were interrupted rudely. I, mm -hmm. I think. When she realized that Henry and Helene were thanking her and her friends over and over again for what they had done. Bess said, do you think you'll ever go back to Santrovia? They said, oh, probably we'll visit when peace is restored, but we would like to become citizens of your grand country. Bess said, how wonderful. And good luck. <laughs> Helene added with tears in her eyes, we could never think of leaving such a fine friend as you, Nancy Drew, but they'll never be mentioned again. Right. And uh, and you, Bess and George. <laughs> You're just marvelous, too. <laughs> Henry's going to finish your portrait, Nancy. Ned says, it should be titled, Nancy, America's Loveliest Sleuth. <laughs> Thanks, Ned. Smooth. <laughs> Join us next time to find out what a witch tree is. And what the symbol that goes with it. That sounds like, it honestly sounds like a mystery named by Carson. Whether, Terrible name. Whether the Fontaines got their citizenship. Yep. And if uh, Ned is indeed engaged to Nancy. Like, I would be so disappointed if one of these books, they were just like, and they got married. I'm, I'm hoping that next book, it just refers to him as a boy she sees sometimes again. Yeah. And we get to be like, well, that they broke that off pretty quickly. Yeah, he talked about her as his wife one too many times. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> one ties nancy down <laughs> i'm carl and i'm hope and until next time go, go wildcats. wildcats i almost said go werewolves <laughs>to have a special episode about this video game sometime i have a we have a there's a host of video games we can um oh i don't know put them on our patreon remember to support us at our patreon <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our patreon river heights radio we'd really appreciate it instagram at river heights radio twitter at river heights fm 
River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours into.